0: Injured in a car accident, we cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville.
1: The sports world keeps spinning and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
2: And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 10, 10 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. What a weekend it was for the Jacksonville Jaguars. For myself, my goodness, I didn't know what to do with myself. Orlando, the Magic have won three games in a row. The Jaguars go into Nashville for the first time in nine years and beat the Tennessee Titans I felt like that scene in Angels in the Outfield, Danny Glover, when they won a game for the first time in forever, he's just standing outside the dugout aimlessly clapping, saying we won. He didn't know what to do. He wasn't used to it. That's how I was. I had no idea what to do with myself, with the Magic winning and the Jaguars winning in the fashion that they did. We got a ton to get into tonight. Obviously, we're going to spend a lot of time on the Jaguars and the Titans. Here's what we got for you guest lineup-wise tonight. The man who called the game for CBS yesterday, it's our guy. Some people just have guys, right? And the Jaguar fan base, one of our guys is Andrew Catalan for CBS. He seemingly has called, what, 75% of Jaguar games over the last, what, five, six years since he's joined CBS. There's a special kinship that the Jaguar fan base has with my man Andrew Catalan. Well, we're going to have Catalan on. Coming up here in less than 20 minutes, he was in Nashville yesterday, called the Jaguars Titans, called the Jaguars and the Ravens a couple of weeks ago, so we'll talk to Andrew Catalan about what this win means for the Jaguars, for Trevor Lawrence moving forward. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, do you realize we are nine days away? Nine days away from early signing day in the month of December. Florida, Florida State, Miami, the closing stretch to finish off these recruiting classes, at least for the early signing period. We'll talk with Andrew Ivins, 247sports.com, about the Canes, about the Knowles, and about the Gators, and where things stand with them as we're nine days out from early signing day. And later on in the 9 o'clock hour, of course, it's Monday night on here on Hacker After Dark, and that means Monday night coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Now that's interesting with the team coming in here on Sunday. So we'll review the Jags and the Titans, but I want to talk to Dave Campo, who was the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, coached for Jerry Jones. Get his thoughts, get his emotions on Dallas coming in here, and is Isn't it amazing? Amazing. For the first time since 2006, the Dallas Cowboys have not played a game in Jacksonville, Florida in 16 years. The game was here in 06. It was in Dallas in 2010. 2014, when Dallas was supposed to come here, the game was in London. 2018, back to Dallas. So now finally, in 2022, 16 years later, Dallas is finally returning for what is a pretty important game on Sunday for both the Cowboys and the Jaguars. So we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us. As always, to kick it off on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now.
1: Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal?
2: What is the big deal? It is a big deal on
1: Hacker After Dark.
2: You know, as Trevor Lawrence was taking a knee yesterday... While he was jawing, mixing it up with the Titans defenders who were trying to bull rush Luke Fortner for no reason with 30 seconds to go in the ball game, One song from a famous Hollywood film just kept echoing in my mind. In Denmark, I think we have that song. That's what I thought yesterday. That is absolutely what I thought yesterday. Going back to the Wizard of Oz. The Wicked Witch is dead. For the first time in 3,318 days, the Jaguars went into Nashville, Tennessee, and they won a football game. It was November of 2013. And I understand, look, I mean, I get it. People are talking all day about playoff scenarios, and they're only... The Jaguars are only two games back with four to go. And if Jacksonville can get to eight and eight or, you know, nine and, uh, you know, get to nine wins and win the division, and that's all great. You know, no, whatever happens, happens. I'm not banking on that. Tennessee, a two-game lead with four to go, they're still in prime position, even though they have to play the Jaguars again in week 18. So I'm not getting my hopes up necessarily for a postseason run. If it happens in 2022, that's outstanding, and that would be hot fudge on top of the ice cream. That would be a cherry on top of the ice cream. But for me, yesterday was about going into Nashville and beating the crap out of a team that has beat the crap out of the Jacksonville Jaguars for really going on 20-plus years. Yesterday was about going into their house like they have done to us so many times and pushing them around. How many beatings are the Tennessee Titans responsible for here in Jacksonville and in Nashville? Just ripping the heart out of Jaguar fans time and time and time again. From Jeff Fisher to Steve McNair to Eddie George. Marcus Mariota's 87-yard touchdown run. You remember that thing? Of course, Derek Henry, 99 yards, what, four years ago. Just beating after beating. And would it ever end? For crying out loud, would it ever, ever end? Well, yesterday, wasn't even a competition. The Jaguars went into Nashville and were clearly the better football team. Clearly had the better talent. Trevor Lawrence played a ridiculous game. And we seemingly say that now. Almost every week. I thought the Baltimore game two weeks ago was his best game. Nope. Nope. Played better yesterday. Trevor Lawrence played as good a game yesterday as any NFL quarterback could play. 30 of 42. 368 yards. Three touchdowns through the air. Another touchdown on the ground. Third down after third down. You know, we're going to talk a lot about the touchdown throws to Evan Ingram and Zay Jones. Going back and watching the game again today, that pass to Jamal Agnew on the sideline where he had to avoid pressure, and he could only put it in one spot for Agnew to get it there on the sideline, and he dropped it right in there, man. Just right in there. There was a third and six where Zay Jones had two Titan linebackers covering him. They were there. You can't cover a guy any better. And Trevor just put it right on Zay Jones. Good grief. What a... Uh, amazing throws. And what I loved, and Doug Peterson talked about this today, what I loved is him mixing it up with the Titans at the end of the game, first off waving goodbye to the fans right on, absolutely. You know how many Titan fans on social media, Titan fans uh that I've interacted with at the stadium, both in Nashville and Jacksonville, all the stuff they've said over the years about the Jacksonville Jaguars about being the little brother in the AFC South. Imagine what the Jaguar players have heard for years and years and years. And yesterday, and Trevor Lawrence waving goodbye to them as the Jaguars were finishing off the beating, the pounding they were giving Tennessee, right on. And then Tennessee decides to bull rush Luke Fortner in the victory formation, I guess to try to get him to fumble the ball, Remember, Greg Schiano did that when he was the coach of the Bucks, and that was met with a lot of resistance from a lot of NFL circles. You're down two touchdowns with 30 seconds to go, Tennessee. What are you doing? So Lawrence comes to his defense, mixes it up. Titans are jawing at him. You know all Trevor does? He pointed to the scoreboard. Oh, that was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And Doug Peterson was asked today about Trevor Lawrence stepping in for his teammate, and showing a little attitude yesterday in Nashville. Listen, um they protect him, he protects them, you know, and and you know, I'm okay with it, you know. I'm fine with it. I think it I think it shows a lot of uh, a lot of grit and determination. It shows that he he cares. Um you know, in situations like that, we do coach that situation too to you know, you got to protect yourself,
0: right? Um those are I've been on both sides of that where, you know, you're you're obviously behind and, you know, um kind of the heat of the moment and, and things happen but it's still one play in a football game that you got to protect yourself and,
3: and be prepared for
2: you know and, and look he's exactly right I love what Trevor did I mean it's nothing against them personality wise but like Mark Brunel Byron Leftwich Gerard those they weren't that type of guy now Blake Bortles was Blake Bortles had a little moxie to him I guess is what you'd call it a little attitude but obviously Blake was not successful a large majority of the time. And I love Blake Bortles. I figure you guys probably know that if you listen listened to me for a while. I love Blake Bortles, but I'm a realist. I know enough to admit that he wasn't um, a great quarterback, even though he did have that attitude. But think about most of the quarterbacks today. I think Mahomes is the exception. But from Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, they got some attitude to them, man. They got a little, you know what, and vinegar to them. They'll tell you about If they're beating you, they're going to tell you about it. If they're giving you the beating, they're going to let you know. You signal a first down right in some defensive player's face. I love it. Absolutely love it. And for Trevor Lawrence to do that, and again, a lot of these players, in fact, all of these players, none of them have been around for the countless years of, you know, the Titans owning the Jaguars. Jeff Fisher calling this his home field here in Jacksonville. Some of these guys weren't alive when Steve McNair and Eddie George were beating Jacksonville unmercifully in the late 90s and early 2000s. But you could tell yesterday that even the new guys, guys that have only been here a year or two, it was a big game. I'm sure they had heard about Jacksonville can't win in Nashville. The Titans own the Jaguars. And even though a lot of these Jaguar players are relatively new to the organization, that stuff like that motivates you. I mean, Josh Allen's been here since what? 2018, 2019. You could tell he it was a, it meant something to him. Guy like Cam Robinson, Dewan Smoot. absolutely. none of those guys had ever won in Nashville before yesterday. And it wasn't just the way the Jaguars won the game, right? When, when you think about the future of this division. The Jaguars will be picked by a majority of publications, in my opinion, to win the division in 2023. When you look at the AFC South, Houston is awful, and that's why I still can't believe they beat Jacksonville, because they're just a bad football team. They're in the midst of a rebuild, and it's going to take a while. Indianapolis has no idea what they're doing. They're probably going to bring in another journeyman quarterback. Who knows what's going to happen at their head coaching position? And Tennessee, I know they got some injuries. They looked old. They looked slow. They looked sloppy yesterday. Jacksonville was the better football team against the Tennessee Titans. When is the last time we could say that up in Nashville? Hadn't happened in almost a decade. And keep in mind, the last time Jacksonville did win there in 2013, the Jaguars were an and 8 football team going in there. That was Gus Bradley's first year that they just happened to win. You know, I know people don't want to talk about the future, right? They want to talk about the present. Oh, we're only two games back with four to go. Yeah, you are. And and, and I hope that Jacksonville beats Dallas, Tennessee goes to LA and loses to the Chargers, and that would mean Jacksonville controls their destiny with three games to go. And that would be awesome. That would be phenomenal And I'd be all for it, and that would be great. But to me, yesterday's win meant so much more than what happens four weeks from now. Yesterday's win was a turning point in this division. This division has been run by Deshaun Watson in Houston, by Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, And by Tennessee's quarterback committee, which has included, I think, at the very beginning of the division, Steve McNair. Then you went into Vince Young. Then you went to Marcus Mariota. And now you've had Ryan Tannehill there the last couple of years. The Jaguars have only had one division title since the AFC South started in 2002. One. And that, of course, was in 2017. But watching Trevor and this team Go into Tennessee, a place that has been a house of horrors. Denmark, that's horrors, not the other one. Horrors, Denmark. Get your mind out of the gutter. A place that has been a house of horrors for the Jaguars and to just absolutely pummel Tennessee in the fashion that you did. I hope things work out at the end of this year, but I am foaming at the mouth for 2023. You give me Calvin Ridley, you hopefully re-sign Evan Ingram, you get another draft class, you might sign one or two decent free agents. Whew! It's the Jaguars division, man. Barring something catastrophic like an injury or anything along those lines, barring anything like that, this is the Jaguars division in twenty twenty three. And we have not been able to say that for a long, long, long time. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to shoot a text, feel free. Monday Night Football going on right now. They're just underway out in Arizona. The Cardinals and the Patriots. I guess Jacksonville, you need to root for Arizona. The, The wild card is probably out for the Jaguars. Um, look, either Baltimore or Cincinnati is going to be a wild card. So that takes one of the wild card spots. Miami is going to be a wild card. That takes another wild card spot. And right now, the seventh playoff spot, the third and final wild card is between the Chargers, the Jets, and potentially the Patriots, all of whom are at seven and six So you still hypothetically could get in play for a wild card, but your best chance is the division. The Jaguars' final four games against Dallas this week at home. Then you go to the Jets a week from Thursday. I mean, two games in four days that are going to be vital. Then Houston and then Tennessee. The Titans' schedule's hard. At Los Angeles home Houston, Dallas, and then here in Jacksonville. So the Dallas Cowboys are going to have an enormous impact on what happens in the AFC South. An absolutely enormous impact. And we have Denmark, give me a this just in here on Hacker After Dark. We got a little breaking news right here. This just in on Hacker After Dark. Kyler Murray of the Cardinals scrambling was not hit. Has gone down with a what appears to be a non-contact injury. And based on his reaction, it doesn't look good.
3: He had a hamstring injury a couple weeks ago. He missed a game. Yeah. Might have been that.
2: Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't think they're looking. They're not looking at his hamstring. They are. Uh, so, we'll see what happens. But he was not touched. and He went down. And he's pounding the turf in frustration. So, Kyler Murray which is really unfortunate for those of you in fantasy football. Obviously, we'll keep you updated. We hope the best for him. I kid because I care. But um, Cardinals weren't going anywhere this year anyway, but you'd hate to see him get hurt this late in the season. And again, if you're Jacksonville, you're kind of hoping Arizona wins the game tonight. That would be kind of tough if Kyler Murray cannot come back in this ball game. But we'll keep you updated. Cardinals, Patriots, very early in the first quarter. Coming up next, in Nashville, Tennessee, yesterday on CBS Sports, it's our guy. And I'm going to ask Andrew Catalan about that. When did he become the Jaguars guy? Fan base loves him. You find out Catalan's calling the game on CBS. People are fired up. We'll talk Jaguars Titans. We'll talk Trevor Lawrence. Let's get into the Jaguars turning the corner in the AFC South with Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports. That's next on a Monday night Edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
1: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah.
2: Back here on 1010XL 10, 10 and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. What a win for the Jacksonville Jaguars yesterday up in Nashville, ending a nine-year losing streak in Nashville to the Tennessee Titans. A man that called it for CBS Sports is Andrew Catalan, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. 10, 10 Andrew, how you doing?
4: Ryan, always good chatting with you. Thanks for having me on.
2: Andrew, always appreciate it, man. And Boy, you've called a couple of doozies in the last few weeks. You called the Jaguar-Baltimore game. Yesterday, the Jaguar-Titan game. You've seen Jacksonville probably more than any of your colleagues at CBS. Boy, it clearly looks to be a different team, Andrew, right now. No doubt about
4: it. I just sense the uh, confidence and swagger in this team led by Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence is is very different than any of the previous Jaguars teams that I've seen, especially the last few years. I Just even in our production meetings with them Saturday night at their hotel in Nashville it just got a real sense of confidence from them that they know what they did in Detroit wasn't who they really are and they felt very resilient and they were if they, they were in a good frame of mind the night before that game and it showed even though they fell behind seven nothing I thought the Trayvon Walker forced fumble was a huge play in that game early and it just got that sense that they This is a different team, and I give them a lot of credit starting at the top with Doug Peterson.
2: You know, and and to come back from where they were last week, I mean, the NFL, is so week-to-week, Andrew, but last Sunday in Detroit was a disaster. I mean, the Lions didn't even punt the football. And then you're going into Tennessee, a place they hadn't won in, what, 3,300-plus days, and to put forth a performance like that, my goodness, shows the growth of this football team.
4: No doubt. I mean, I think that – they didn't really have an explanation as to what happened in Detroit. Just said they came out flat. Obviously, the ETN fumble on the second play, I thought, changed the tenor of that game. I also think Detroit's pretty good. As we saw, they, they beat up Minnesota yesterday. So that, that that's a nice ascending team in the Lions. But, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that wasn't us, and then come out, and, and then you got to show it. And they did. I mean, they, they, they really did. I thought that the Tennessee team, even though they were really banged up defensively, you know the style Mike Rabel wants to play. When when they're down, they try, they try to punch you in the mouth. They try to play physical. And they couldn't do that against Jacksonville yesterday. I, I know it. all the numbers added up to Jacksonville throwing the football a lot. Tennessee's got a good run defense, but they haven't been able to stop the pass. Doug Peterson knew it. They, everybody knew it. And, and Tennessee still couldn't stop them. So I thought Trevor Lawrence played a great game. You would have no idea that his toe was bothering him. And they really fired on all cylinders in all three phases. It was a very impressive effort.
2: Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. You saw Trevor as a rookie. You've seen him now come from behind victory over Baltimore and maybe his best game as a professional yesterday against Tennessee. You also get to talk with him on on a pretty regular basis when you're calling these games, Andrew. How would you describe Trevor Lawrence, where he is December 2022, compared to where he was last year right now which is about the time urban meyer was fired
4: there's no comparison i mean i just i don't think that unless we were in the building we could really sense how much of a mess last year was i mean you could you can sense it when you were watching them play or a little bit in our meetings but I just never felt like I knew who Trevor Lawrence was when I would sit with him last year. I just felt like there was so much going on in his mind, so much to process as a rookie and Urban Meyer and all the losses, something he wasn't accustomed to. And now in these meetings, obviously, I've I've gotten to talk with him a a little bit more. I, I I just get a quiet confidence in him. He's just very comfortable in his own skin, which is not something I would have thought to say a year ago. Uh, I think that Doug Peterson has been the perfect head coach for him. Uh, I think that Doug has a great relationship with him; they see things the same way. I think there's more talent around him as well. We saw that yesterday with Evan Ingram and, and Christian Kirk on a hole this year. I just really feel like this is the Trevor Lawrence that the Jaguars and their fans thought they were getting. I think they're finally getting him now.
2: And Andrew, look, and maybe it, it's a little thing that I'm making too much out of, but but I'm curious. You know, Patrick Mahomes is probably the exception, but you look around the league from the elder statesmen like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady to Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, quarterbacks have a little moxie to them, man, a little attitude in today's day and age. And Trevor yesterday, you know, waving goodbye to the Titan fans or mixing it up with the Titans on the kneel down there and then pointing to the scoreboard. I mean, Jaguar fans here absolutely ate that up yesterday. They loved every bit of it. Because we haven't really had anybody like that at the quarterback position here in Jacksonville, Andrew, that would do that. I guess Bortles, but then he wasn't all that successful. So the fact that not only Trevor assuming a leadership role, but he's showing a little attitude, sticking up for his teammates. Boy, fans here loved that yesterday.
4: I think that's a big deal. I don't think you're making too much of it. I I noticed that as well. I had to be a little careful on the on the broadcast because there's titans fans that are watching too but i think from a jacksonville perspective i thought that was a big deal it was basically trevor lawrence saying look this isn't the same old jaguars we know we haven't won in this place since 2013 this is a new team and and we're coming for what you have i mean they kind of said that all week too ryan they said look titans are the gold standard in our division the last several years we want to we want to be that so we got to go beat them and they did so you know I'm not saying that they're going to go win their next four games they could uh but at the same time I just think even momentum into next year if they don't get in the playoffs this year it just sends a little bit of a message that this isn't the same team that had lost so many games in a row in Nashville
2: a couple of more for Andrew Catalon of CBS Sports you know you look at the AFC South I think when all the preseason magazines come out next year, Andrew, barring something catastrophic happening this offseason. I mean, how could you not like the Jaguars in this division moving forward? Houston is still in a rebuild. Indianapolis, who knows what's going on there. They're likely to have another quarterback next year. And Tennessee looks like the you know, they're they're probably gonna win the division, but my goodness, do they look wounded? They looked old yesterday. I know they had some injury problems. Well, people here in Jacksonville, whether what happens in the next four games or not, moving forward, uh, this looks like it's going to be Trevor Lawrence's division for a few years. Could be.
4: I mean, obviously in Tennessee they made the bold move this past week of firing their general manager. So I think the owner is uh, maybe ready to, to make some bolder moves, whatever that whatever that might be. But there's no doubt that the, the, the nucleus and the, and the tone that Doug Peterson has around him uh, bodes well for the future. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that they'll have some room to make some more moves, but as Trevor continues to grow and, and they get a few more pieces around them, especially on defense, I think this is a team that should be competing for the division title for the foreseeable future.
2: You know, Andrew, you look around the league too, four games to go, uh, a lot of implications this week, wild card, division championships, that sort of thing. When you take a look at the AFC... Clearly, it appears, Kansas City and Buffalo, in whatever order you want to put them in, boy, Cincinnati's coming on strong. How do you assess where we are in the AFC with four weeks to go?
4: Yeah, I still think that a lot of it's going to come down to who gets the one seed. I mean, I think that if Buffalo gets it, it's that's going to be a really tough place to, to go through. Not that Arrowhead is easy to do, but I, I think that Buffalo is a different team at home but I think all these teams are showing potential warts. I don't think there's a dominant team really in either conference, but especially in the AFC. I mean, I still have Buffalo as the favorite, but we've seen even yesterday that they had some struggles at home against the Jets team that that um that they had lost to earlier in the year. So I, I think once it gets in, it's wide open. I've been pretty high on Miami Uh, but, uh, you know, they didn't show up in the way that I expected, uh, last week or last night rather. And then they have a tough short week going to Buffalo where it could be snowing on Saturday night. So, you know, I think it's really wide open and you can make a case for any one of these teams to come out of the AFC. But ultimately, I think home field advantage will make a big difference.
2: Wrapping things up with Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports. Andrew, you know the city of Jacksonville. You know this fan base as well as anybody that does what you do there in the broadcast booth on the television side. There's a big one here on Sunday. It's the first meaningful December game in a long time. Jacksonville still in it and in come the Dallas Cowboys. Interesting note for you. First time in 16 years that Dallas will have played a game in Jacksonville. Eight years ago, the game was in London. So Dallas has not been here since 2006. What's your early thought on the Cowboys and the Jaguars on Sunday?
4: I think it's going to be a great atmosphere because we know the Cowboys fans will travel well, but I would imagine Jaguars fans are riding high and they're going to try to to show up in a big way that, that should be a real fun game to watch obviously we saw dallas struggle against houston yesterday they barely pulled out the win. i think the jaguars have a lot of confidence they're alive in the division and i think that's going to be a really good game I, I, that's a game that uh i think there'll be a lot of eyeballs on and i think the jags have a chance to make some noise
2: andrew final question you're obviously with cbs you're paid to call the game down the middle, be objective. It's what you do, and you do a great job of it. But I've been asked this numerous times and because I'm having you on. I'm curious. I mean, you got to know how you're thought of here in Jacksonville, right? I don't know if a fan base has another connection with a TV play-by-play guy than the Jaguar fan base has with Andrew Catalan because you've had so many games down here. It's almost kind of like a running joke that we have a chance because Catalan's <laughs> on the call. I mean, what do you make of the relationship you have here with the Jaguar fan base?
4: Well, it's funny, and I appreciate it. Um, look, I've called so many Jaguars games when they haven't been good, right? And I think that when you're a fan and you have the same guy or you hear the same guy, but he's with you in the good times and maybe the bad times, certainly there were some bad times. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we, we grow a closer connection. Um I have no idea. I'm sure that today the Titans fans are thinking, great. We got cattle on a chargers game. They're probably tired of me, uh, but there's no doubt that I, I get um, really nice comments from people in Jacksonville. And, and I appreciate it because uh, it's a fun job and that's a great place to go. And, you know i hope they continue to win because uh it's a fun place to be when they're winning.
2: Well you're certainly one of our favorites no doubt about that. Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports hopefully he'll get some more Jaguar games here in the next month of the season. Andrew, thank you for the time. I know you're busy this time of year. My man, we'll talk soon.
4: Anytime, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
2: We yeah, always enjoy the conversation with Andrew Catalan of CBS and yeah, he's got a big one this week, you know, the Jaguars and the Cowboys. Of course, we want you to listen to it right here on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Go to the game, enjoy yourself. Hopefully, the Jags can pull what would be a pretty big upset. I think the Cowboys opened up as a six point favorite out in Vegas, but Catalan's got the Titans and the Chargers on Sunday. So, uh, big game with uh, huge implications for the 2022 season. Can you imagine? I don't even want to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Can you imagine if Jacksonville beats Dallas on Sunday and then everybody goes rushing home? And if if the Chargers beat Tennessee, Jacksonville would control their own destiny at that point with three games to go. Cowboy fans are annoying as hell. Well, there you go, Leon. Absolutely. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, now, look. At the Cowboys, or I'm sorry, Cowboys here and then at the Jets in a 96-hour span, that's tough. I mean, that is tough. You're going to have two games in four days, potentially, with huge ramifications for your season. One at home, one on the road. But boy, it would set up a really interesting scenario. In a perfect world, can you imagine the National Football League announcing... That the Titans and the Jaguars flexed to Sunday Night Football week 18 because the AFC South Division title would be on the line right here at TIAA Bank Field. Oh, man, I, well, it takes a lot of dominoes to fall to get there. But a couple of those dominoes could fall on Sunday: Jaguars, Cowboys, Titans and Chargers. Do an update you on Kyler Murray? We mentioned earlier the Cardinals and the Patriots on Monday night football. Kyler Murray went down with a non-contact injury. It is not good. It's a knee is what's being reported. And the cart did come out to get Kyler Murray uh, back to the locker room. So, again, I'm not a trained medical professional. But it does not take a rocket scientist to realize that you get carted off with a knee injury. That's probably not a good thing. So, uh... Hopefully, Kyler Murray will be okay. And the Patriots and the Cardinals still scoreless halfway through quarter number one. We'll come back. We'll look around the National Football League. I do want to take a brief look at the early signing period next Wednesday, the December early signing period in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll have Andrew Ivans of 247sports.com to break that down as well. But how does Florida, Florida State, and Miami look nine days out? from early signing day here in the month of December. We got a lot to do, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. A Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
1: This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
2: Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, a Monday evening. Glad you are with us. Denmark had a fun time down at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. According to my phone, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but it says that over the 48-hour period I was there, I had 19 miles of walking between the Magic Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, and Epcot. That seems like a lot. Well, no, we were there 11 hours on Friday, another 7 hours on Saturday, so 18 hours in the park. Uh, You want to talk about the guy that was ready to go back to the hotel on Saturday night? That was me. How Uh, many
3: kids were screaming around?
2: Oh, man. I mean, look, my my kid loves it. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's hard not to love Disney, uh, particularly when your 3-year-old sees all his favorite characters and just goes bonkers. But... It's some work, man. I'm not 29 anymore. I'm not 34 anymore, you know. I'm not going to go as far as to call myself old yet, although I am turning 40 next year. And I was uh I was feeling those 19 miles come Saturday night or I mean to cut it in half. It was 10 miles. It was still a long way. I was happy though that I got to go on Splash Mountain for the uh final time. They're shutting that down because after 30 years of it being there, uh, I guess uh, it offends people now. So they're changing it up, and it's going to be shut down between uh, January 2023 and late 2024 when they'll open it up as something else. So if you're going down to Walt Disney World in the next six weeks, I would highly uh, recommend that you ride Splash Mountain because it'll be gone forever come January the 23rd. And They said the lines there are astronomical for people that want to ride it one more time before it, uh, it's gone and opened as something else. All right, I put this on Twitter earlier today, and it's something that I found very interesting. You know, we talked about Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram this offseason. And about what those guys have brought to the Jaguars, what they would bring to the Jaguars when they were signed. Oh, you spent too much money on them. Oh, Evan Ingram's a bust. All he did was drop balls in New York. Zay Jones is just a guy. Christian Kirk was never a number one, you vastly overpaid him. All right, well, all those were probably true. Here's what I know. You want to know what I know? I know in 13 games for the Jacksonville Jaguars, those three combined have caught 188 passes for 2,077 yards and 13 touchdowns. 188 catches between the three of them for over 2,000 yards And 13 touchdowns. Christian Kirk is going to be a 1,000-yard receiver. Heck, Zay Jones may be a 1,000-yard receiver. And Evan Ingram's on pace to potentially set the all-time Jaguar record for receiving yardage. I'm pretty sure he set the record for a single-game reception yardage by a tight end yesterday, 11 catches for 162 yards, and a couple of scores. So you add Calvin Ridley to that? We know Kirk will be back. We expect Zay Jones to be back. Evan Ingram is a free agent. To me, after yesterday's performance, he became the top priority for me for as far as in-house guys, getting guys back in the fold for 2023. Evan Ingram's going to get some notice on the uh, free agent market. There's no doubt about that. Right now, he's got 53 catches for 548 yards and four touchdowns. With four games to go, he'll very likely be somewhere around 70 grabs, somewhere around 700 yards, probably five or six touchdowns. Guys like that at the tight end position get paid in the National Football League. Evan Ingram bet on himself this year, signing a one year deal here in Jacksonville, and that bet, that gamble is going to pay off. I just hope it pays off here. I've seen enough out of Evan Ingram to sign that guy long-term, assuming the dollars make sense. We know that there's going to be cap issues potentially here in Jacksonville. Shaq Griffin's gone. That saves you a lot of money. There are other guys that you could potentially restructure or flat-out release. But to me, you got to find money to get Evan Ingram back in the fold. Because if you come into 2023 with Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram, and Travis Etienne... Oh, boy. And Trevor Lawrence, obviously a quarterback. I like it. I like it a lot. So, to me, getting Evan Ingram back in the fold is absolutely important. Uh, Dewan Smoot's also a free agent, I believe. He's also a very important piece to bring back as well. Kudos to the defense, by the way. They were awful against Detroit. Just awful. And you know what? They bent a little bit yesterday. Derrick Henry had a monster first quarter. Four sacks and causing four turnovers? Can't do much better than that. And hey, all you Andrew Wingard haters. Hey, all you guys that year after year after year want to crap on Dewey and he's not very good and he's slow and he's bad at this and he's bad at that. Matt Hayes. (laughs) Yep, that's right. He would definitely be one of them. And all Andrew Winger does is come and play football every Sunday, man. He might not be the fastest or the quickest or this, that, or the other. You find me a tougher guy. That guy had one of those shoulder stingers. He was out, what, five plays yesterday? Comes back in, tackles Derrick Henry in the backfield. Gets a critical interception. You know what Andrew Wingard has done? I heard Prosser mention this on the drill this morning, and he's right. Andrew Wingard has done one of the ultimate things in sports that is very rarely accomplished. He's gone from a guy that for some reason was not liked by a fan base to now being loved by that same fan base. Very impressive. Very happy for Andrew Ingrid. He was our defensive player of the game last night on the fifth quarter, and I was fired up for him for that. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Andrew Ivins, 247sports.com. December signing day is next Wednesday. You believe that? Nine days away from December signing day. Oh, by the way, Florida? They play a football game on Saturday. They play the Las Vegas Bowl in five days. I'm willing to bet some of you were shocked by that, that you did not know that. Yeah. Five days away. The Beavers and the Gators are going to get it on at 11.30 a.m. Local time out in Las Vegas. Nothing says college football like an eleven thirty AM start in Vegas, two thirty on the East Coast. We'll talk about the early signing day next Wednesday, next on Hacker After Dark.
1: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
2: One hour down, one hour go with you till ten o'clock here on Hacker After Dark. As always, we're streaming are reviewing Pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. Hacker After Dark will be there until 10 o'clock tonight. Also on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock this evening. Arizona, a 3-0 lead on the Patriots. Start of the second quarter. Again, Kyler Murray carted off the field at the uh, like the third play of the game. It was right at the beginning of the game. A non-contact injury. The Cardinals have listed him with a knee issue and, again, carted off the field. So uh, that's not good, obviously. So uh, we'll hope the best for Kyler Murray moving forward. Next Wednesday is the first signing day, the December signing day, for uh, colleges all over the country. Now, the transfer portal has complicated things a little bit. Obviously, everybody's talking about the portal, so you may not realize that we're nine days away from The December signing period. Let me tell you where the local teams stand according to 247sports.com. The Miami Hurricanes currently rank number seven in the 247.com composite. They have 23 commitments for the 2023 class. They got two five-star commitments, four 10-star commitments, and 11 three-star commitments. Coming in at number 11, The Florida Gators, they have 22 commitments to their class, 18 four-stars, and they have four three-stars. And then finally, Florida State is coming in at number 18 on this list. Only 16 commitments. We know the damage that Mike Norvell does in the transfer portal. And keep in mind, Florida State's not losing a lot of guys. There is a mass exodus going on in Coral Gables, and in Gainesville. So they're going to have more numbers to fill with bodies. That's not necessarily the case at Florida State. They may not sign or bring in as many guys as the Hurricanes or the Gators, but Florida State currently number 18, 1-5 stars, 7-4 stars, and 8-3 stars. Again, December has a signing period, and February has a signing day as well. Most of the hay will be in the barn in nine days. I'd say roughly on average 75 to 80% of prospects commit in December now. The remaining 20% will wait until that first Wednesday in February. But, of course, we'll have you covered all week uh, next week. And on Wednesday, hopefully we'll have some of the local guys in the area that put pen to paper to make their intentions known as to where they're going to be playing their college football. Coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Monday night coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo will review the Titans game. We'll look ahead to the Jaguars and the Cowboys. Coming up next, Andrew Ivins, 247sports.com. Let's talk Florida, Florida State, Miami. Let's talk recruiting. Where do they stand? Who are they looking at? What should you be on the lookout for in the next nine days? That's next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
1: No. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah
2: back here on 1010 XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The first signing period coming up in just a couple of days. How active will it be? How will teams around our area close from Florida, Florida state, Georgia, and Miami let's talk about all of it with Andrew Ivins 24 7 sports.com I know he's a busy man this time of year and he's always kind enough to join us here on Ten Ten XL Andrew how you doing
3: oh you said it busy time man just you know trying to get through signing day we got all the transfer portal stuff going on it's a busy time of the year but it's, it's a fun time of the year
2: Andrew from your world how has and you've been doing this a long time how has the transfer portal changed things I
3: think everyone's still trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, you talk with college coaches, and that's all that comes up is the transfer portal. You know, we heard last week some schools weren't – were saving coaches from sending them out on the road to go meet with high school prospects because they wanted to see who would go into the transfer portal. So it's, it's the number one conver- driver of conversation in, in college football offices. Uh, and I was talking to a staffer yesterday. Um, they said their head coach is not only going to meet with, you know, the recruiting targets and guys they want to close with, but they also are going to send him to meet with some of the parents of current players. Cause they don't want to lose those guys, to the transfer portal. So it's crazy. Uh, you know, I think everyone's trying to navigate it. NIL has certainly played a factor. I mean, if you're one of these older guys at a school and, uh, you know, you see these young kids that, that are coming in as, as recruits, getting certain packages, you know, why would you not go test the waters? So I think we're all figuring it out. Maybe there'll be some, some rules put in place right now, but it's, it's certainly very hectic, and I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon.
2: Andrew Ivins, 247sports.com. Along that point, you look at Florida. I mean, they're a prime example. What do they have, 16, 17 guys that have entered the portal? You combine that with the guys that are leaving for the NFL. You combine that with the senior class that they have. And, Andrew, we're probably talking 35, 40 new guys minimum that Billy Napier is going to have on his 2023 roster. I mean, it's incredible the amount of turnover that's about to happen at the University of Florida.
3: You're absolutely right. And, and you know, it, it's a retooling of the roster. And, and I think this is Billy Napier getting his guys into the program, guys that he wants and, and um, that, you know, fit his system and, and what they want to do, not just on, on Saturdays, but you, you got to think it's a 365 a day, a day a year sport where I mean these guys are with the strength coach and whatnot so I think there's some guys leaving for certain reasons Um, I think Florida will help certain individuals find other spots uh, but there is going to be a a huge a huge gap I mean you said it you talk you take 20 30 40 guys away from a roster it's going to look completely different and and you know should that be concerning for Florida fans yeah sure I mean it's going to be hard to replace those guys but I really like Florida's recruiting class I mean they have 22 commits right now uh, I like what's coming in. I think some of those guys could play as freshmen. And then Florida's been aggressive in the transfer portal, and they they seem to have their ducks in a row more than some of these other schools. Uh, they picked up a commitment on Sunday from Caleb Banks, big defensive lineman out of Louisville with three years of eligibility remaining. Uh, they've also been on some other individuals, so they seem to be pretty organized. They're going to add some veterans, some some mercenaries, you know, one one and two year guys, but. I think the turnaround for Florida is going to start with this 2023 recruiting class because um, we like it top to bottom, you know, one through 22.
2: Andrew, you look at the quarterback room at Florida. All right, the Jalen Kittner situation, yikes, he's gone. Anthony Richardson declares for the draft. You combine that with Emory Jones transferring out, uh, Del Rio Wilson transferring out, You've had and Marcus Stokes, that whole situation, getting his scholarship pulled. You've had five quarterbacks exit that were either coming in or already there in the last, say, eight months. The only two guys on scholarship right now are Jack Miller and Max Brown. Jack Miller appears he's going to start the Las Vegas Bowl on Saturday. Let's begin with what we know, and what we know is Jaden Rashada is coming in for the class of 2023, and DJ Lagway committed to Florida last week for the class of 2024. What did the Gators get with both Rashada and Lagway?
3: Let's start with Rashada. I mean, he's a, a talented passer. He's one of the older quarterbacks in the, in the 2023 cycle, uh, which isn't a knock. But, you know, you start trying to stack and, and rack all these guys. I mean, you're taking everything into account. He's had a good senior season out there in California. And he, I, I think he's a, a pure facilitator of the football, right? He can make a variety of different throws. He can air it out to all different levels. But he's, he's a passer first, and that's what he's going to do. Uh, I I mean, flipping him from Miami was, was monster because you, you talked about it, Ryan, just with the outlook of that quarterback room. And I, I think Florida, in the ideal world, Rashada doesn't play as a true freshman. They're going to try to bring in a transfer portal quarterback, a veteran, a guy that's ready to go. And I, I think that's what they need. They need a bridge gap between him and Rashada. But Rashada should be viewed as the potential QB one of the future for Florida. I mean, he has the talent. It's just all got to come together in the SEC. And I'm a big believer. You never really know what you got until the bullets start flying. I mean, we've seen prize quarterback commits go and wash out pretty early. And sometimes that's the system. Sometimes that's the individual. You just never really know. So uh, we think that Rashada can win on Saturdays and, and we'll see. He's going to be one of these all-star games here later this month. So excited to see him in that type of setting where he's not the best player on the field now with dj lagway i'm a i'm a huge fan of him uh i I saw him back in july at florida's friday night lights camp he's 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 different than rashad i mean this is you know we've been trying to find a player comp for him he's a big athletic individual out of texas that can rip it with his arm and he's got a a rocket launcher for that thing working on the accuracy but he's improved as a passer and then he's just an excellent Uh, dual threat talent in terms of a guy that can run in the open field you know shades of Anthony Richardson I think work I've compared him to Jacoby Brissett Um, just with Jacoby and what he looked like coming out of high school he's also a big frame guy that played multiple sports Uh, Brissett was a basketball guy Lagway could play SEC baseball so um, I I like those two the big thing for Florida though is going to be finding a a quarterback that can play in 2023 uh, somewhere in the transfer portal
2: Andrew Ivins, 247sports.com. All right, we hear all the names, right? Sam Hartman's name has been out there forever, and to my knowledge, he hasn't even officially entered the portal yet. Devin Leary of NC State certainly seems to be somebody that is a very good option, although I believe he has a brother at Missouri, so people are connecting the dots there. Jeff Sims out of Georgia Tech is in the portal, a Jacksonville kid, potentially some local ties there with Florida. I mean, Andrew, what should Gator fans be on the lookout for when it comes to these transfer portal quarterbacks? Well, on Sunday
3: they had Graham Mertz in Gainesville. He's the kid out of, of Wisconsin, uh, multi-year starter, former top 247 recruit, former All-American. Uh, he, he participated in that game, Elite 11 finalist. So he checks off all those boxes. He, he was at Wisconsin, hasn't had a, a ton of success, but he's uh, uh, played and a a ton of meaningful football games. And I I just mentioned, I'm a big believer again, and you don't know what you got until they're on the field and and having to make decisions. So he's one name to know. Uh, I've heard the same thing about Hartman, but he's, he's yet to enter the transfer portal. I think there's another quarterback out there as well, that if he were to enter Florida would make a ton of sense or Florida would be attractive. And that's Michael Pratt, the kid at Tulane. He's from South Florida. Uh, played for the South Florida Express, which is one of the top seven on seven organizations. He's really tied in to a lot of the, the skill players. And he's had a great career at Tulane, who has obviously won 10 games and is playing in the Sugar Bowl. So, you know, I think my, my hunch is Pratt has has, you know, owes it to some of those people in the locker room before he, he, he decides what he's going to do about his future. But that that's a name to know as well. Jeff Sims, it sounds like Florida. I don't think they're on the on the same page there. I've been asking around, and, and Sims just spe- spent the weekend um, at, at Nebraska on a visit. Austin Reed's another kind of intriguing one to me. The kid out of Western um, Western Kentucky, um, who was at West Florida originally from the St. Augustine area, he was number the number two passer in NCAA uh, this past year. Has still one year of eligibility left, but I think he's probably going to end up at Louisville. So there's there's names out there, and the, the biggest thing, hackers. I think more quarterbacks are going to enter once we get through this bull season.
2: Yeah, I certainly do as well. And by the way, I've heard the same thing about Jeff Sims and Austin Reed. So I think you and I are on the same page there. I don't necessarily know if Florida is in the cards, but uh, it's interesting because look, Florida needs to do what Florida state has done. Say what you will about Mike Norvell. He revolutionized that roster, Andrew, in the transfer portal. You could argue they're top 10 top dozen guys, our transfer portal guys that got them to nine and three and they're going to boat race oklahoma to get the 10 wins here in a couple of weeks so i think billy napier needs to follow the blueprint that mike norvell had in tallahassee
3: right 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 and i mean jordan travis i think a lot of people forget he's a, a transfer quarterback i mean everyone just assumes they signed him out of high school but he came over uh from louisville no no you're right and florida state went through some growing pains last year and and now they're seeing the fruits of the labor right they 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 hit the transfer portal hard and more importantly um they have a high success rate of of getting production from those guys and and you talk with college contacts and and people inside personnel departments um the transfer portal can be good but it can also be bad you know you're not going to hit on everyone i mean miami took a bunch of kids last year they haven't really panned out and and you got to be successful um, and and you got to get it in line. And I think with with Florida state, I mean, just looking at it big picture, it's set up perfect right now. Um, You know, transfers know that they can go there, uh, make the league. Um, And, and, you know, so Norvell, I've talked with him. He he wants to take the best football players. So they're recruiting really well at the high school ranks. But if there's a transfer out there, he's also not afraid to use a, a counter and a number on that. And Once you get this thing rolling, I mean, there's tons of momentum because you got the good prep kids that want to go there, and then you have your kind of pick of the litter uh, when it comes to the transfer portal. But, no, Mike Norvell has done an excellent job, and they, too, will also have a great 2023 recruiting class committed.
2: Final moments here with Andrew Ivins of 247sports.com. All right, briefly on Miami, and then I want to get to your thoughts as uh, the first signing day here approaches. Miami did not have the year on the field that they wanted, People are not, at least people I talk to, Andrew, are not necessarily upset with Cristobal. Is more they're concerned about 5-7, and seven, including five losses at home. He needs to turn that around next year, I think, at the 7-5, and 8-4 and four minimum, or at that point, I think people will start at least whispering what's going on here. Having said that, how is he doing on the trail right now? Uh,
3: <laughs> well, I, you're right. He's got to get to – seven or eight wins next season and i don't want to say it's going to be difficult but we, we just mentioned with florida losing all those bodies i went back to to miami's week one too deep right uh, when they played bethune cookman since that game they've lost 22 guys i think at the last count that are either in the transfer portal uh have transferred elsewhere or, or graduating so they're losing a, a ton of guys and um, you know, they, Mario crystal ball wants to flip that roster. I thought they'd be a little more aggressive in the transfer portal right now, but it seems like the focus last week and this week is keeping this 2023 recruiting class together. It ranks number seven right now, uh, after Sunday, they picked up a commitment from Christopher Johnson, speedy running back out of the Fort Lauderdale area. He's Florida's three, a champ in the one hundred and 200 meter dash. So he can move, but, uh, you know, they, they, they got to hold on to these guys, Cormani McLean, nation's number one corner everyone thought he was going to pick Florida he ended up picking Miami that's a guy that could potentially be on the field day one next season I mean Miami plays Texas A&M I think it's week two or week three they're going to need him to get some meaningful reps I mean they only have like three scholarship safeties right now uh, and the corner board doesn't look um, much better Francis Malagelo five-star offensive lineman they've been fighting to hold on to him uh, and actually this past weekend, they had his brother, who is a transfer linebacker out of Washington State. They brought him in on a visit. So sounds like he's going to stick. But the, the priority for Miami is going to be get through the next nine days, get these guys signed. And then they are going to have to go in the transfer portal um, and look to get some some veterans that can make an impact like Florida State did and like what Florida's trying to do right now.
2: You mentioned we're about a little over a week away from the December signing day, by the way. I, and this is a topic for another day. With bowl season, there's a thousand people in the transfer portal, and you have the first signing period. I think something's gotta be done, Andrew. There just seems to be too much congested in here in the month of December. But again, different topic for a different day. It is it is the way it is right now. Gator fans listening, if you want to throw in a seminal thought or two, what should folks be on the lookout in the next nine days? I know Florida is still in with a couple of guys, and there's a thought. That they might be able to flip one or two guys at the final minute. Well, we got
3: some big three battles to kind of keep an eye on here um, over the next nine days. One of them is Ruben Bain, uh, defensive lineman out of Miami Central. They're going to play for a state title on Friday night, uh, Miami Central versus American Heritage, and one of the better games uh, nationally. Um, and Bain, is he just spent the weekend at Florida State. He's scheduled to visit Miami this weekend but again he's announcing a commitment on friday night during the state title game i asked him how he plans to do it he says he's just gonna like lift up a shirt or something after a sack so i think he's either gonna throw up the u or do a, a tomahawk chomp i'd like miami coming into the his, his fsu visit we'll see still like the hurricanes he's got some ties then so that's one big three battle the next one is, is mark fletcher the running back who happens to be at uh, American heritage. He's a former Ohio state commit, big bruising back. He just spent the weekend at Florida. Everything I'm hearing suggests that Florida will be the pick. I think they got a good package in place for him. I think he likes that style of offense, but he too is scheduled to visit Miami this weekend. So those two are duking it out for that. And and then there's one more Florida Miami battle, Samson, Okunlola, a big, uh, Offense alignment out of Massachusetts he calls himself the pancake honcho he just spent the weekend at, at UF as well some UF buzz but Miami's also in there I think his commitment is Thursday the 15th so those are the battles those are the ones to follow and then there's going to be surprises I mean there always is Mario Cristobal he pulls some stuff out of some some tricks out of the bag at the last minute and Billy Napier he's a good recruiter as well so uh, a ton to follow over the next few days
2: final question for you andrew and again know you're busy man really appreciate the time uh jordan hall from right here in jacksonville Westside high school he's like the last really really highly rated guy in northeast florida that's yet to commit everybody in the country wanted him i think he's down to a final four which includes georgia includes florida i want to say maybe ohio state is in there what are you hearing about jordan hall
3: i like georgia um uh you know, right now, (laughs) and I say right now because things can always change, and just with the whole NIL's current system, I mean, it's unpredictable as ever in in terms of trying to peg where these kids go. I I think it's a Georgia-Florida battle. LSU's also in there um, in a few different programs, Ohio State, but, you know, I always – every time I've talked to Jordan in person, I've got that Georgia vibe, Um, and and he brought up, you know, how back in – I think it was June or July. He spent four days in Athens just watching film with Kirby Smart and, and Trey Scott. And to me, it, it just feels like Jordan understands that he can go to UGA and, and they're going to turn him into a day one or a day two draft pick. That's just that's just what he thinks and what he believes. And, and when Georgia can point to what they did last year and how many guys they had selected early on and how many guys they're going to have selected moving forward, um, it, it's a it's an easy kind of slam dunk i think for them
2: andrew Ivans, 24 7 sports.com andrew get <laughs> as much sleep as you can man this week you will be a very busy man next week uh we'll let you rest a little bit after that but maybe around the first of the year we'll get you back on we'll see where the dust is at at that point and begin looking ahead to february because of course there will still be some uncommitted prospects that will sign in february always appreciate you my friend of course thanks for having me on <laughs>
3: It's Hacker
1: After Dark on 1010XL. Now, Hello! Another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line, brought to you by the Accident Attorneys at Farah and Farah.
2: Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. What a win for Jacksonville yesterday in Nashville for the first time in nine years. The Jaguars go up to Tennessee and come back with a W. It's Monday night on Hacker After Dark. That means it's Monday night coaching with Campo. Our man Dave Campo joins us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing? I'm
0: doing great, Hack. And, and can I start this
2: off with something? Absolutely.
0: This, uh, all you Jaguar fans out there, in the last four games, you've seen a generational quarterback that has evolving in front of your eyes. In this game, great throws, uh, many under pressure, many uh, with contested routes. Avoided the rush, eyes down the field. He's doing a great job with that stiff arm on the, on the TD run. Two-minute drill. That's two out of the last three games he's led a two-minute drill, one before the half, a couple before the half, and one to win the game. 180 passes without an interception. Last four games, 10 TDs, zero interceptions. He's, he's evolving, guys. We can be excited about that.
2: There's a lot of reasons to be excited after yesterday. Coach, I I think first and foremost, you know, the mental block. A lot of these guys were not here for a lot of the game, certainly the fan base, the media alike. You could tell yesterday was a big deal, even for the new guys on the roster. To go to Nashville, Coach, a place that this team hasn't won in almost a decade, and to not only win, but essentially to beat the crap out of their arch rival in Tennessee on their field. You saw Trevor Lawrence waving goodbye to the Titan fans, which everybody around here just loved yesterday. So, yeah, it's a win to go from 4-8 and to 5-8. and But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's almost like ding-dong, the witch is dead, kind of. That was a big mental hurdle, not only for the team, but I think for everybody in this city.
0: There's no question about that. You know, uh, I I think uh, Leon uh, on the fifth quarter has put it very succinctly, uh, you know, Tennessee has looked like the, looked at the Jaguars like they're the the big brother and Jacksonville is the little brother. And any way you look at it, when you've got that situation, there's a lot of emotion involved. And I think this football team gets it. Uh, they showed it the way they played. They played hard, even though there were still some mistakes, but they played extremely hard in this game. And, and really, uh, it's such a big game because really – in, in two games against the Baltimore Ravens who are an excellent football team against the Titans who are leading the division. They've come to the front and they've played well.
2: There's no doubt again, Monday night coaching with Campo, Dave Campo here with us on 1010XL Excel and 92.5 FM. All right. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence and I think your opening thoughts there are what everybody has been hoping for here in this town since they drafted him in April of 2021. Coach, simple question: Why? Why is he so much better now than even he was, say, six weeks ago?
0: Well, it's experience, learning, and an excellent coaching staff that that you know is is grooming this young man. You know, early in the season, uh, like I said, this this in the, at the beginning, 180 straight passes without a, an interception. That's that's a second to to David Garrard uh, when he was here. And that in itself early in the season was not the case. You know, he was forcing some things. He was doing some things in a red zone, throwing interceptions. He understands the game. Now he's getting a feel for, you know, the, the pace of the game. His, his eyes are much better. You know, he's, he, he knows where everybody is around him. He knows when to get moving and his eyes are still down the field. All those things are, are experience uh, And, He throws the ball away when he has to. He's making good decisions as opposed to some good decisions and some real bad ones.
2: You know, Coach, you look at quarterbacks around the league, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe Mahomes is the exception, but you look at a Tom Brady, you look at an Aaron Rodgers, a Joe Burrow, a Josh Allen. I mean, I just named a lot of good ones. And they got a little attitude to them, Coach, a little moxie. And and for Trevor Lawrence yesterday, leaving that game to wave at the Titan fans, and then when there was a scuffle at the very end, he was protecting Luke Fortner, who the Titans decided to bull rush in the victory formation. Trevor getting in there, mixing it up, exchanging words, and then pointing to the scoreboard right at the Titans' defense. I got to tell you, uh, we haven't seen that around here in a while. Uh, Nothing against Mark Brunel or Byron Leftwich or David Garrard, but they really... That really wasn't their thing. Bortles would do that, but Bortles obviously wasn't very successful in his time here. I think the fan base, the media, you you also factor in where it was in Nashville. Boy, I think that was a really, really good sign that Trevor not only is taking ownership of this team, but he'll protect his guys. And You could tell there was a little little moxie to him yesterday. Well, there's no
0: question, and, and that's one thing that I didn't mention in that opening statement you're seeing the leadership showing up even after the ball game against Detroit. And I think he, in a way, called out the entire football team, including himself uh, with the, with the situation that we had, uh, you know, the boat race up at at Detroit and to, to, to add to that, what he showed in this game, the things you just said, I think this guy is becoming a leader. I, I've, I've always felt that he was extremely competitive but I think a lot of people looked at his demeanor like, you know, not enough uh, fire. Well, I believe he's got fire. And I think he's starting to feel like with his, with his uh, performances, he's starting to take control of the football team. And that's what you need from your quarterback. And I think that bodes well for the future.
2: Monday night coaching with Campo, our man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That's interesting. We'll get to that here in a moment with the game coming up on Sunday here in Jacksonville. Coach, I'm going to give you these numbers. 188 catches, 2,077 yards, and 13 touchdowns. All right, 188 for 2,077 and 13 touchdowns. That's what you've gotten in 13 games from Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. Is there any other way than to say those signings to this point have been worth the money?
0: Oh, I think they're worth the money. Absolutely. I, I You know, again,
2: uh, I, do they have,
0: you know, we're hopeful for Calvin Ridley. Absolutely. You know, he may be a number one. Maybe these guys that you're talking about are not necessarily number ones, but, you know, that improvement has made a difference in this season. And if you look back, you know, in the games that we could have won that we didn't because of – you know, a, a, a really bad play, whether it's a passive, uh, you know, interference, a roughing the passer, you know, uh, penalty situations. If you if you put those in the win column, you'd say this was a tremendously successful season, not just for the quarterback, for the entire team or the receivers. And I think the receivers have been a big part of that. And I think there's a great relationship right now with those guys with Trevor. And I think that's important. I think a lot of those guys will be back next year. Hopefully Ingram will be back next year.
2: Coach, it's not all sunshine and rainbows on offense. They're having a problem running the football. Trevor was absolutely dynamic yesterday without really any threat of a running game, which to me makes what he did all the more impressive. But they do need to run the ball. I mean, if you don't run the ball, eventually that's going to be very badly, uh, very bad for you. So. What is the problem right now? Because it wasn't that long ago ETN had three consecutive 100-yard games. Boy, he hasn't gotten it going at all here in the last couple of weeks.
0: Well, first of all, I think a little bit is a, is a uh, you know, a, and, and this is not the main thing, but I think there's a little bit of a confidence issue with, uh, with uh, Tra- uh, Travis. You know, when you watched him yesterday, even when he got into decent position, what did he do? He really locked up on the football. He didn't really make any, you know, decisive uh, cuts. And I think that's because, you know, he, he in his mind, you know, I've got to protect the football because he's, he's fumbled the ball in, in critical situations. And once you get into that situation, you, you know, it, 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 they're going after the ball. So I think from a positive standpoint with that is that he made runs without turning the ball over, but I think it's hindered him a little bit. The other thing is uh, this front four, especially in this game on defense, uh, their penetration, the one thing they do is they rush the passer. They stop the run by rushing the passer and getting penetration. And our offensive line had problems yesterday blocking them. And, you know, I think that it's a combination of – you know, that situation and maybe a little bit of tentativeness with, with uh, Travis. And, you know, hopefully uh, the offensive line will get better. There's no way we could run the ball yesterday. Uh, they just, you know, they were uh, lining up to stop the run and, and they've got guys up front that can do it.
2: A couple of more for Dave Campo. It's Monday night coaching with Campo here on hacker after dark coach on the defensive side of the ball. Look, there was some bad issues yesterday. Derek Henry, had almost 100 yards rushing in the first quarter. But to the defense's credit, right? Four turnovers is four turnovers. I mean, they, they got the Titans to fumble, throw picks. I mean, kudos to the defense for that. And we finally saw a pass rush with four quarterback sacks. I know you can't rely on that every week, but if we're going to kill the defense when they're bad, let's give them a little bit of credit when they're good. And yesterday, forcing turnovers, getting to the quarterback, it was a job well done. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, again, uh, you know, this defense has some warts and, and it, they're, they're there. You know, some of it is, might be scheme uh, situations. Some of it might be individual talent. Uh, you know, you've got some misfits. I think the area that we're there, you know, first of all, going into this game, I felt that the matchups were better with our cover guys uh, in the secondary against that receiver core. And that proved out because we had a lot of contested uh, plays. Uh, Campbell alone had, I believe, three passes broken up. 31 had a pass broken up. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be an issue going forward with real good receivers. Uh, but the biggest concern with, with me is run fits with the linebackers and crossing routes with the linebackers. and And that's something they have to continue to clean up. We have a, you know, we we're a little hesitant at the linebacker position of attacking the line of scrimmage once we see where we're supposed to go. But as far as turnovers, you know, that's how you win football games, and and that doesn't come. A perfect example is uh, uh, number 50, quarterman, you know, on the on the throw over to uh, number 22 on that one where he's running down the sideline. Quarterman wasn't in the right spot off the play action, but his hustle and his hit caused the fumble that went to uh, Josh Allen. And that's what this defense is doing. They played extremely hard yesterday. There were a lot of guys around the ball, and that's how you get turnovers, whether it's fumbles, interceptions, whatever. you got to be around the ball, and they were that way yesterday.
2: Coach, final question before we get into this week's game so quickly. uh, When you watch Devin Lloyd (laughs) – uh, I know he had been struggling. He had lost his job. Quite frankly, Chad Mumma came in to replace him. Did Devin Lloyd play better, in your opinion, yesterday? Yes, yeah, so I think
0: he played better. And you know, again, that's uh, you know, getting him on the field. You know, he had to start in the ball game. You know, and and, and you know, those are things that uh, he needs. And you know, they're they're doing less things on defense than they've been doing and i think that helps him a little bit he still has a ways to go but you know when you look at those two rookies uh, uh lloyd and muma you know they're going to make some mistakes that's rookie rookieism i call it and you know they're going to do that but i think he played better yesterday
2: final moments here with dave campo i always introduce you as dave campo former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, because clearly when people think of you, coach, they think of the Dallas Cowboys. And look who's coming in on Sunday, the 10-3 and 3 Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, Micah Parsons, and I would imagine thousands of their fans to TIAA Bankfield. It's going to be a big game, biggest December game around here in quite some time. Coach, your thoughts, your feelings, your former team against your uh, I guess your current team, now that you're a a resident here in the Northeast Florida area.
0: Well, let me just uh, say one thing first. Uh, I was recognized five times about about this week, and all of it was because I was with the Jaguars, Ah, not the the Cowboys.
2: Nice. So, uh,
0: you know, that's good. I I am a Jaguar right now. There's no question about it. Uh, You know, I was with the Cowboys not only as a head coach, but with them for 18 years total. So I have some loyalty to the Cowboys, but, uh, you know, I'm rooting for the Jaguars this week. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind I'm, I'm now a Jaguar. With this team coming in, you know, there's some matchup issues uh, from, a, from a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint. They have quality players. They They not only have somebody on one side like Parsons on one side, they also have Lawrence on the other side and Alexander inside in that front four. So you can't just zero in, but you have to take care of Parsons because he's a game wrecker. So they're going to have to pay attention to him. They've got two running backs that can make it happen, and I think the quarterback is a winner. So, you know, this is going to be a tough ball game, but the exciting thing is what you bring up all the time, Hack, especially being around here for as long as you have, is the idea that this game is meaningful not only for – for, for uh, trevor lawrence which is the number one thing we've all said that but for the team because it's a meaningful game as a team in december
2: there's no question about that and look the atmosphere will be a college football-esque atmosphere with dallas rolling in it's a big game for them jacksonville looking to keep their postseason hopes alive who knows if jacksonville beats dallas tennessee loses to the chargers All of a sudden, the Jags control their own destiny with three to go. Final question for you, Coach. It's obviously going to be tough. We know how good Dallas is. If you were advising the Jaguars this week, what are the one or two things that they need to do to win the game on Sunday?
0: Well, stay away from Diggs throwing the football because he's a turnover magnet. On the other side, make sure you – on the same side, make sure you take care of Parsons. You know, make everybody else uh, have to beat you. Don't let him uh, control and wreck the game. Those are two things from an offensive standpoint. They've got to get the running game going this week. If they don't, they are going to have a problem. Because if you get in third and long against that football team, you've got a problem. They can rush the passer. On defense, they've got to make sure that they don't get uh, Parsons – or excuse me, uh, Zach – Zeke Elliott – or or Pollard get going, and you know they've got to they've got to play some coverage against those against those uh, receivers.
2: It'll be the first time Dallas is here in sixteen years. That's unbelievable, right? The last time they were supposed to be here was when they went to London to play the Jaguars. So for the first time since two thousand and six, my goodness, Dallas and Jacksonville. Of course, you'll get the game right here on Ten Ten XL Sunday at one o'clock. You'll get Dave Campo along with Leon Circe and myself on the fifth quarter after the ball game on Sunday. Coach, uh, looking forward to spending a little time with you this weekend before the fifth quarter. We, we're going to break bread. Appreciate you having us all over, and uh, we'll have fun on Sunday as well, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: And, and one thing uh, beside that, that 2006 game, we whipped their butt, and I was here. <laughs> so, listen, it, it could be the same thing again, buddy.
2: Thank you, Coach. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right, Hack. Have a
0: great, uh, have a great uh, night.
2: And there you go. Thank you to Dave Campo. Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Again, what a win. What a win for the Jacksonville Jaguars yesterday in Nashville. And, again, I don't know. Look, you go from 4-8 and eight to 5-8. and eight. Yeah, you're still in it. You're two games out with four to go, and that's great. And that's certainly a big, big deal. There's, I don't want to downplay that. But yesterday's win to me was that ding-dong, the witch is dead moment. I mean, how many beatings have we all experienced, media, fans, obviously obviously the players, beatings have we experienced in that stadium? Really going back some 23, 24 years since that stadium opened, but particularly in the last decade. And to go in there, to go into Nashville and just push the Tennessee Titans around, oh, was glorious. And then for Trevor Lawrence to wave goodbye to the fan base, point to the scoreboard when the Titans were jawing with him at the end of the game, again, glorious. So it was a great day all around for Jacksonville and for this fan base. Absolutely no question about that. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We got a lot of people to thank, including Dave Campo, who uh, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys come in here on Sunday, and what's a big game, biggest December game we've had in Jacksonville in quite some time, but Coach says, look, he's a Jaguar, so uh, certainly loved his perspective here tonight. Thank you to Andrew Ivans of 247sports.com, the first signing day, the December signing day, next Wednesday, Florida, Florida State, Miami, all looking to close out strong and build up these 2022-2023 recruiting classes so thank you to Andrew Ivins and then of course Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports the man that called yesterday's Jaguars-Titans game for CBS he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL and we certainly appreciate that well that'll do it tomorrow night is our late night where else would you rather be I mean are you kidding where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 to midnight Then right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark, we'll have a lot to do on our late night show. We kind of let it all hang out on our late night show, and we hope you join us tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green, in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5. FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday, beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.